The struggle with prayer is real for every Christian. I think everybody would admit we have some level of deficiency when it comes to praying and maximizing this great tool God gives us. It's an amazing, amazing gift God gives, and so many times we just fail to open it up and get the benefit from it that we should. And part of it is, as I talk to people, I'm not even sure what to pray for all the time. Yeah, you got the prayer list at church, and you've got some obvious things that are weighing on your heart from different things and different concerns of other people, but when it comes down to actually using it to your greatest advantage and maximizing its potential, how do I know what I should pray for? And as if out of the blue, Paul, in this particular passage, gives us a beautiful template we should use when it comes to prayer. He's gone through the history of his association with the Thessalonian church. It is their history because he was there from day one. And he talks about them and their faithfulness and the struggle of being pulled away from them in a way that was rude and obnoxious and he couldn't get back to them and he sent Timothy to him. All this he's talked about and he says, but now But now before we get on to the rest of the letter, let me pause and pray because he's going to pray over all this. He knows this church well, and he shares with them what his prayer requests are for them. We should kind of lean in on this and say, how does Paul determine this? And that's what the prayer is. We're going to start at the end uh, and see what his major apostolic concern for prayer is. And I want you to notice in verse 13. He has a couple a prayer request in verse 11. He has a prayer request in verse 12. But then in verse 13, he says, So that this is what I was thinking when I asked these two things. This is what drives my particular request for you as a church. Everything I ask for in prayer pertaining you is so that, he says, he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. My number one concern and what helps me to filter out what needs to be prayed for you is I want you to stand holy with God when Jesus comes back with his holy people. That's my number one. That's what drove his Gentile mission. That's what, drove, what drives the church. You know what we're here for? We are here to make sure you stay holy for when Jesus comes back. Do you know why you need to come to Bible class? So it helps you stay holy and grow holier as you wait for Jesus to return. Because he's going to come one of these days, and he's going to be looking for his holy people. And the question is, are you one of them or not? Are you one of them? And so the prayer that Paul makes is for this. Everything I ask for is this, and I'm going to say it more simply. He said it a little more ornamentally. And notice it's in quotation marks, which means I want you to say it with me. That's what quotation marks means. So I want you to say this with me because this is what drives everything about our prayer and our Christian life from baptism on. Let's say it together. You ready? That we will be holy before God when Jesus comes back. Let's say it again, that we will be holy before God when Jesus comes back. That is our life's goal. Don't let this week's to-do list cause you to lose sight of this. 
The stuff they got that's so important this week, in five years, you won't even remember what those things were. But that they contributed to you being more holy when Jesus comes back, that is the big deal. But we guys, it is so easy to lose sight of this and to get sidetracked on things that are much less important. This is Paul's greatest concern, and it's out of this that the prayer request will come. So here's the truth. Next screen. Our holy God is going to send his son to gather holy people to take them to the home of holiness. This is the only thing that awaits in the plan of God. This is the only thing lacking in the entire plan of God from creation to end. This is the only thing he hasn't done yet. That's it. A holy God sending his son to gather his holy people to take them to the home of holiness. And you want to be one of those holy people. And you want to get to that home of holiness. That is our entire pressing concern. What is holiness then? If it's our number one concern... Church, this is our number one concern. This week, today, tomorrow, every week, we be holy. What does that mean? Next screen. Here's what it means to be holy. We are set apart as different than most people on the globe. That's what holiness means. So on this side, the majority of the world, they behave like this. They talk like this. They dress like this. They think and evaluate like this. They have this attitude. That's the majority of the world, and those are the people who are going to stay when Jesus comes to take the holy home. That's, that's how this is. The holy, on the other hand, no, they don't behave like this. They behave like this. They talk like this. They dress like this, quite distinct from them over there. They think like this. They have this attitude. This is what holiness is. These are the people God is compiling to take home with him when he, as a holy God, sends his holy son to get his holy people. If you want to be in that group, this is how we need to be living. Not like this over here. Next stream. That involves two things. One is that God has to make you holy. There's not a thing you can do to set yourself apart. You are by nature in this group you are by you being a human being born on earth over time this is the group you're in and you can't do much about that except that god one day says through the blood of my son through the gospel he says to you you don't have to stay here this is not where you have to remain I've got another plan available for you, but you choose it. And by obeying the gospel, by submitting to the waters of baptism, allowing the blood of Jesus to apply to you, you are moved by God over here. And that has nothing to do with you or your actions. God moves you because you obey the gospel. He moves you over here. But he also empowers you. This is the second step. He gives you himself through the Holy Spirit. He gives you the power to work out that holiness in actual living. He says, I'm going to save you, but I want you to work out that salvation I put in. I want you to work it out in the world as a holy offering to me. You start acting this way. You start dressing this way. You start talking this way. You start thinking like this. Your brain is transformed, right? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's how you get in this group over here. 
When Jesus comes, this is the group he's going to take home to the home of holiness. What group do you want to be in? You don't choose by raising your hand. You choose by living your life. That's how you make a choice. God will recognize those who are his by his Holy Spirit and by them living by that Holy Spirit and being transformed. That's how he's going to know which group you're in. And that's the group he's going to take home. This is the plan of God. This is the way it works. And the main purpose of life is to live this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you believe that, the most important thing in your life is to live this way. Because he's going to come at any moment. He's not going to drop a, mo a note in your mailbox. He's not going to send you an email and say, in a week I'm coming, now get your act together. And let no, he's going to say, I'm coming, and those who are living this way, I'm going to take home to be with me. I'm going to see my spirit living in you. So what does that do about your prayer life, though? I mean, that's what we're talking about. What, what, what is it, how does this help your prayer life? You constantly regulate and evaluate your life. You put it under a microscope, and anything that's threatening your holiness intention, the only, anything in your life that is threatening your holy status before God, you put that in a prayer to God, and you say, God, I need help with this. You need to care enough about holiness to put everything that threatens that holiness in your prayer and ask for God's help to give you victory over it. It takes inventory. It takes you really thinking this through. You've got to think through in order to figure out what you need to pray about. Let me give you an example of this. If you attend an AA meeting, here's what they're going to say to you. They're going to say to the people who come to this meeting, they're going to say, our most important thing in here our most important thing in this meeting is to talk about whatever is threatening your sobriety. Whatever's going on in your life that increases your tension, your stress, that disturbs you, it's threatening to drive you back to the addiction. Anything in your life that upsets you threatens to drive you back to your addiction. So in this meeting, we want to bring up anything in your life that's going on that threatens to send you back to it. And instead of letting it drive you back to the addiction, it drives you to us. And we talk about it and we deal with it so that it doesn't get you back to where you don't need to be. There's lots of things in this world, y'all, that are threatening our holy status. There's so many things in the world and even inside ourselves that are threatening this, causing us to move back over here. And whatever that is, pay attention because it's worth throwing up a prayer to God and saying, help me with this. I recognize this as threatening my holiness. You only do that if you really care about it. Let me ask you some questions that might help. Question number one, are there things in your life that are pulling you away from what you know is the most holy thing you could do? You know right now that there are things right now that you could choose a holier option, but you're not. You're choosing the other. And you're making excuses. Well, but, 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 but everybody, but, 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 but this is what I feel. But, 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 but. And for some reason, instead of choosing the holy thing, you're choosing this one. It's a sign you need to be praying. It's a trigger, and you need to pray about it. Next question. Same question, different ways, asking it. Are there things going on within you that cause you to suddenly not care about the holy, the right, and the God-pleasing thing you should be doing? I know I should. 
I know what, how I should be talking. I know that the way I'm talking right now is not the holy thing, but oh well, God will accept it anyway. His grace, it's no big deal. I'll just, you know, he'll just have to accept me this way. Guys, that's threatening your holiness, and it needs to be prayed about. That's all right. I'm just having a conversation with this coworker who's a woman and not my wife, and it's okay. It's just, it's just a conversation. I'm needing to talk about this thing and get it out. And by doing that, listen, you are threatening your holiness and a covenant you've made. This is no little deal. A red flag's going up, and you need to be praying about this. Next question. Are there situations happening that force you to choose between what's worldly and holy, and you find yourself choosing the worldly? you got a few minutes to watch Netflix. You know that thing has nudity all the way through it. That's why it's so popular. It's one of the top ten on Netflix. And you know it's probably not the one you should be watching, but it's the one you want to watch, and it's the one you do watch. You had a choice right there between doing something that's worldly or choosing something more holy, and you chose the worldly. And you can make up all the excuses in your head. But that's a time to say, how serious am I about this holiness thing? Next question. What's so occupying your time and your thoughts that the pursuit of being like God has to take a back seat? These are all the same question. What habits are threatening your spiritual holiness, your holiness sobriety? That's what you need to pray about. Why? Y'all ready? Why should we bother with this inventory? Why, church? Let's say it. Uh, you're worse than the early service, and they had an excuse of the ungodly hour of 745. What's yours? Okay, let's try this again. Why should we bother with such an inventory, church? You ready? That we will be holy before God when Jesus comes back. Is that all that big a deal? Is that all that important to you? It should be. It should be. And so anything that threatens it becomes prayer material. All right, so that's what drives him, but there's two particular prayer requests. We'll look at them now. Look at verse 11. Here's prayer request number one. Driven by a desire for them to be holy when Jesus comes back, he says, number one, God, please direct our way back to them. Paul says, I want to get back to Thessalonica. I want to go see the church. Now you're saying to yourself, I know you are, you're saying to yourself, that has nothing to do with us. This is a temporal prayer request that has nothing to do with us. But just a second. Why couldn't Paul get back to them? You remember he was at Thessalonica and he wanted to spend more time with them, but he, was, he says he was torn away from them, couldn't get back to them. He tried over and over again, couldn't get back from them. And do you know why he couldn't get back from them? Look at the verse on the screen. Why could he not get back to them? Because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, I kept wanting and making plans, but who? Satan hindered them. Satan got in the way. You know why? Because Satan didn't want Paul to have more time with him. He wanted to obstruct what God had planned for them, and so he got in the way. Listen, this is interesting to me about Paul, because when he got to Thessalonica, if you remember, we did this on a sermon slide, and I know you remember, God said, you can't go there. The Holy Spirit prevented us from going there. Do you remember this? Holy Spirit said, don't go there. The God, God said, so Paul knows how to say God didn't want us there. But Paul also knows how to say and recognize when it's Satan doing it, not God. 
Satan is involved in our lives too. And he would, he would love nothing more than to hinder us from becoming more holy. Paul getting to Thessalonica would help them become more holy, and so Satan hindered him. And I want to ask a question about Valley View in particular, and also your life. I want you to think about your own life and ask yourself this question. How is Satan hindering you? Where is he at work in your life? As an individual Christian trying to become more holy for when Jesus comes back, how is he hindering you from holiness? Where is he active in your life? Are you paying attention? Or is Satan just something from the first century and he no longer has any role in our lives? Surely I don't need to preach that one now, do I? And where is he involved in the church? What are some things he'd like Valley View to do, but God would like Valley View to do? as a holy representation of himself, but Satan's hindering us. Can we learn to see through the eyes of faith where that's happening? You know where I think he's working? I think he's attacking our marriages. I think Satan is attacking our marriages and giving us a spirit of selfishness. It's all about me. And it's, it's disrupting the marital dyad, the husband and wife, and it's messing with the kids, and it filters its way up to the church, and we can't be all the church is supposed to be because the world's supposed to be God. See Christ in the church through your marriage. Church, the world is supposed to see Christ and the church in your marriage. It's a model. And when Satan gets in there and hinders that relationship from being all it's supposed to be, he is distorting the view of Christ in the church, and we care about that, don't we? Don't we care about that? That's called hindering holiness. You know, there's another area, too. Parenting. We're more concerned of our kids being accepted and popular in the world than them being holy and separate from our culture in God's church. We are way more concerned than that. And it's causing us, listen, I think parents, we are responsible for teaching this holiness principle to our kids. Our number one goal is raising our kids to be different from the world and to be ready when Jesus comes back. And I want my kids to be able to say, I'm more ready for Jesus because of what my parents did than if they hadn't done it this way. Please be more concerned about when Jesus comes back for your kids than what the world thinks of them right now. Why is he wanting so badly to get back to Thessalonica? Because they had killer food and he wanted a potluck and welcome. Right? Because they gave him a money tree last time and he thought, well, you know, maybe it'd be more this time. Is that why he wanted to get back to Thessalonica? He explains it in chapter 3. He says, we sent Timothy. We couldn't make it back. Satan hindered us. But we sent Timothy, our brother, God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Here's what Paul was afraid of. He did not have the time to establish this church most fully, to give it its best advantage of surviving in a sinful world. He was torn away too early and it kept bothering him and plaguing his mind I'm so worried that I didn't prepare them well enough I've got to get back but he can't so he sends Timothy back to 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 establish them now you got to ask yourself what did Paul feel like he left out 
What did Paul not have time to nurture in them? I want you to ask yourself that. I want you to look at me with a question in your eye. Seriously. No more wandering in your mind. I want you to look at me with this question in your mind. I'm reading your minds right now. And if, not, if you're not looking at me with this question in your mind, I'm going to know it and I'm going to delay. And we're going to be here till 1 o'clock. So it's in your best interest to get this in your head. Ask yourself, what did Paul think was left out that they needed to be holy? I want you to put that in your head. Is everybody thinking that? What did Paul not get to establish at Thessalonica that he left out that threatens their holiness? Daniel, I see it. Oh, yeah, I see it. I got you now. Okay, I got you. All right? Miss Butler, I, okay, I got you. I see you. Dana, I see you. I see the question. George is right there with me. Good, good, good. Uh, Lane, I'm not sure. Okay. The only way we know the answer to this is what he writes about in the last two chapters of this letter. Because he's using the letter as a substitute for not getting there. And there's two things. One is... They, for some reason, didn't see the connection between holiness and sexual purity. That's chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. That's the next sermon we're going to go on. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be sexual purity sermon at Valley View. And I'm tired of people saying, well, now you just be gentle with this. I ain't going to be gentle. The world ain't gentle. Paul's not gentle. He goes eight verses. He plunges into this with absolute sincerity because he knows if I don't get this right, it could cost you your holiness. And I'm telling you, we might say, oh, but we know that right now. Do we really? Look at our world and even look at the church. We still don't relate holiness to sexual purity today. We're still struggling with this connection. I've got a book in my library I'm willing to read. You know, it's one of those bestsellers. Why does God care who I sleep with? What a great title. I mean, I bought it. Paul says, I didn't have enough time to be with you, so I'm going to write about this and tell you about it later. The second thing he told him is, don't be so all-consumed about his return that you pull yourself out of the world and fail to be salt. And you start just getting involved in each other's lives, and then you start getting nitpicky and busybody and stuff. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that because there's still work to be done. Those are the things. But, but my question for us is what are we, what things are we lacking from an established faith that allows us to walk through this world with holiness? I think every Bible class needs to ask that. Do not teach Bible classes here, whether young people or old, with just do I have enough fodder to get through this 35 minutes? Think about how this moment, this 35 minutes, will help establish them with enough holiness to be able to be holy when Jesus comes back. We've got very little time and lots to talk about, and we can't waste our time, church. This thing is big, and little devotionalettes don't serve it well. We've got to talk about it. And Paul says, I'm itching to get back. That's prayer request number one. Prayer request number two, I promise this will be shorter. Second one is this, verse 12. Oh, by the way, he does get back. 
In Acts chapter 20, he gets all the way through Macedonia, spends a lot of time in Macedonia. He gets back to Thessalonica. He's able to establish that. By the time of 1 Timothy, Paul and Timothy have spent time in Macedonia before he leaves them in Ephesus. The prayer is answered. Second prayer. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. In love for one another, that's great, we love each other, but it's also for people who are not in this building. Our love must be for people who don't love Jesus yet. That love has to go outside the bounds of this building, has to ooze out of our doors and go into our workplaces, into our schools, and into the lives of our families who don't believe yet. That's true. But I want you to notice that he's bragged about this already. Chapter 1, verse 3, Remembering before God and our Father our work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope. He says, I commend you. I remember when I was there. I saw with my own eyes how much you loved each other. I could see it in how you did good works and you were concerned about one another. You lifted each other up. And when you were persecuted in the culture, you were embraced in the church. Timothy comes back with a report and he says, now Timothy's come to us from you. He's Brought good news of your faith and your love and reported you always remember us kindly. You're still loving each other. Even as this, this persecution extends a little, you're still loving each other. So in the middle of this letter, he said, guys, bravo. You love each other. What a great VBS. You loved your own kids and all the kids you brought away. I love the VBS. I love the faith and action stuff. And I, I love the going to church camps and building each other up. Chapter 4, he says it again. Only this time, notice, he says it goes outside your doors to the churches of Macedonia. Concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write for you. And yet he is. No need to write for, to you. Yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. You, you've got that message from the gospel. That's what you are doing in the brothers throughout Macedonia. And we urge you brothers to do this more and more. So what's his beef then? If there's such a loving church and an active church and they're supporting each other, what's... What's his beef? Apparently he's learned from past experience that just because you love now doesn't mean it's sustained. His greatest concern is that they run out of love and steam. They fall back on their laurels. They get lazy in their love and they, they get distracted. They let other things come in between. You remember in Hebrews when he says, I remember when you guys stood for each other when you were persecuted, and even when their houses were taken, you let them come in your house. And he says, don't shrink back. You remember that? Don't shrink back. The Hebrew, and during that time, they're, they're just getting tired. They're getting exhausted, and they don't know if they can sustain it. And the secret is this verse right here. Oh, back up. I did this to you last time. <laughs> you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. When were we taught to love each other by God? When were you taught to love each other? The secret to loving each other is receiving love from God. And when you realize the extent of God's love, isn't that what Ephesians 3 says? I kneel before the Father from whom his family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power in your inner being so that Christ can dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I hope that you feel it fills you and you realize how much God loves you because only when you do that can you then love one another. You know what burnout is? 
I no longer receive God's love like I did before, and I can't give it. I'm empty, and I'm trying to fill other people with stuff I don't have. You must be filled. You're here on a Sunday morning, gathering around the table, being reminded God is absolutely crazy about you and has gone to great lengths to save you, and that continues to fill you up with love so that you can then issue it out to other people. That's how it works. And by the way, it worked too, right? Next screen. By the way, I need to pause and make you do this one more time. We need to keep bounding. We've done great things, but don't don't do this too long before continuing to do it in different ways. Why should we keep abounding in this more and more, loving each other? Why should we do it, church? You ready? One, two, three. Yeah, see, you can't be holy if you're not loving each other. It's just impossible. It feeds into that. And they did. Notice this. This is 2 Thessalonians after 1st, obviously. We ought always to give thanks for, to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love for every one of you, for one another, is increasing. His prayer worked, and they increased their love for each other. So here is what Paul did in doing this. He reminded them what every prayer and every Christian life is for, to be ready and be holy before God when Jesus comes. That's the primary goal, and out of that issues our particular prayer request of anything that threatens that holiness. We're part of Valley View. I'm talking to Valley View now, and so we got questions to ask. What threatens our ability to be holy when Jesus comes? Where is Satan hindering us as a church? What do we need more of in order to establish holiness firmly when Jesus comes? What do we need to do? How can we love each other more and more in an abounding way? I pondered those this week and wrote a prayer. And what I ask is that you would bow as we pray this prayer like Paul did. Father, we ask for your help in keeping our attention focused on what's most important. We can be so easily sidetracked. Help us to set our hearts on being established in holiness before you when Christ comes. We want to be among the holy ones you get to take home. May that be the most important thing to each of us and all of us. And Father, when we are drawn to letting things of this world take priority over that goal, please alert us. Get our attention. Help us to bring it to you for your help. Let us not lose the real world we want because we sought this one that we have right now. We urge you, Father, to restrain the efforts of Satan to obstruct this goal in our lives. Whatever his designs are for us right now to disrupt us, we, play, we ask that you disrupt them and make us aware Use your word, use preaching, use teaching, use spiritual people around us to remind us and wake us up from the mesmerizing impact of this world we live in. We ask you to help us to love each other. Show us how to love one another and help us to invest in it. Allow that love to abound more and more and more as time goes on. And help us to reach outside this building to a lost world for the right reason. By loving each other in the lost world, we develop that holiness that's just like you by replacing the selfishness of our minds with hearts that are servants like Christ. We really, really, really want to be found 
as your holy people when Jesus comes back. Please help us to live that way every day, more and more, until then. In the name of our Savior we pray, amen. May God help to establish us as blameless in holiness before him. Because the truth is, Jesus is coming to get his holy ones. And I want you to be among them. I want us to be among them. If you've never named the name of Jesus as your Savior, this morning you have that opportunity. If you've done that and you've drifted off and you're like, I want to be in that holy crowd, you can handle that with God alone. But if you need us, we will love to help you to be more and more holy when he comes. Whatever is the response you need to make, make it now as we stand and as we sing together.